Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 158th video cast, 148th podcast for the week ending October 27th, 2022. Want to welcome you all. Uh, we'll quickly go into the media, and then I have a treat for you. It's a very special day. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank Phil Yin and I Jing for having me on CGTN America on Tuesday night to discuss Google and tech earnings. Want to thank Ellen Chang. Uh, for including me in her article on M&A volume for thestreet.com. But today is my 15th wedding anniversary with my lovely wife, Caitlin. So I wanted to share with you a little bit about that. Uh, I'll try to do this uh, videocast quickly. We have some plans tonight to celebrate. But that goes back 15 years ago, October 27th, uh, 2007. Uh, We got married at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Actually, that's Monsignor Cassidy in the background. He was a very good friend. He's since passed away, unfortunately. Uh, That was the cathedral. Uh, That was Caitlin after. And then uh, right out in front on Fifth Avenue. And then we actually bust everyone back. We had just bought our house. Uh, A couple months before, it was during the great financial crisis, we bought it from a bank. Like I say, value investing is in the DNA. You you either have it or you don't. Uh, So so that was that. We bust everyone out here. We had such a wonderful time. And um, uh, this was the band. We built a stage here over the pool and danced our first uh, wedding dance in our now living room. So I thought I'd share that with you. So 15 years, it's been amazing. Love you, Caitlin and um, to to many, many more. So moving right along, uh, we're gonna do this a little different this week, and we're gonna start with the article of the week, and then we're gonna go into some of the updates on that, because I think there's so many timely and important things that you, the, the listeners and viewers want to hear this week, given what happened over the weekend, and we're gonna get right down to it. But uh, uh, here's Seth Klarman, uh, billionaire value investor. Value investing is at its core, the marriage of a contrarian streak and a calculator. <laughs> so there's no question about that. And then Philip Fisher, one of our favorite quotes, the market is filled with individuals who know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Uh, that was certainly true uh, last year at the top when people were buying all these stocks trading at 10 and 20 and 30 times sales that are nothing. Uh, and it's certainly true at the bottom uh, when you have some of the highest quality businesses trading at single digit forward multiples with huge molts in their business. And we'll talk about a few today. Uh, so it happens at both extremes. But uh, the article of the week was it's five o'clock somewhere, stock market and sentiment results. Uh, many of you know Alan Jackson, legendary country singer, and Jimmy Buffett sing this song. And uh, it reminds me on Monday morning, we walk up to an abrupt market response to Xi Jinping's top, new top leadership appointments. Uh, global participants had hoped for some balance. If you remember Wang Yang, we didn't get Wang Yang uh, in the standing committee appointments. And when that was not forthcoming, the Hang Seng Index plummeted to the lowest level since the great financial crisis in 2008. Uh, that's the bad news. The good news is they plummeted to the lowest level since the great financial crisis in 2008. And I think everyone by now knows if they were buyers into that, they'd be uh, even wealthier than they are today. So um, it was 5 a.m. in New York City, but 5 p.m. in Beijing. And I'm sure there were many traders, Chinese and otherwise, following country legend Alan Jackson's mantra, it's five o'clock somewhere. I'd like to call him something. You can guess who that him is. Think I'll just call it a day. Uh, and you could play that song. It always puts one in a good mood uh, when you need it. 
But as Alibaba is one of our top three positions, rather than joining the Chinese traders at the bar, we immediately jumped into action before the bell and posted these 18 points with our take on the development, uh, first to clients on Sunday night and then to Twitter on Monday morning before the open. So uh, while the Hang Seng plummeted, U.S. equities actually rallied huge that day, uh, and we wound up up 1.5% on the day. How the hell that happened, I'll never understand, but it's far different from the outcome I was expected when I, when I walk up uh, before the open, that's for sure. Uh, we used the strength in U.S. to trade out of some pawns for a queen, meaning you know, never let a crisis go to waste. And we, so what we did was we looked through the portfolio to find companies that we thought uh, were basically doubles, that their max appreciation to fair value, our analysis of fair value would only be a double or up 100%. So we call those pawns and we trim those out on strength to add 2% equity capital or a 10% increase in our stock position in Alibaba uh, at $60.99, uh, which we believe can be a, a five-bagger five bagger from these levels over time. Uh, and we've gone through the intrinsic value and the sum of the parts multiple in previous video casts, so you can go back and check those out. Now, uh, we were prepared to add as much as 1% more equity capital uh, if we dropped into the mid-50s. And it's, it's ironic, not, not ironic, but I mean that I mentioned that last week, silly season, you know, it's just as silly at 70 or 90, uh, at 140 or at 50. And we got close to that this week. Um, you know, I think you start to look about uh, some connection to underlying fundamentals at 200, and that would be a low valuation. Uh, and then as people get reinterested and the exuberance comes back and you get multiple expansion, re-rating and growth, uh, that's when we start to look at 300, 400, 500 uh, several years out. And, and we've gone through that breakdown with the cloud uh, and everything else. And we'll touch on that today. Now, um, so we were prepared to add another 1% if we dropped into the mid 50s, but that opportunity has not yet presented itself. Uh, so why were we positioned to act constructively when many others were destroying themselves in real time? Uh, I saw this tweet below on Monday. Uh, I've erased the name to protect the writer from embarrassment, but this is what happens to people who haven't lived through cycles or done the work themselves to know what they own, to understand the fundamental uh, intrinsic business value and the private market value. You know, if someone was to hypothetically buy this business in a take private and they had to raise financing, how would they come to the valuation? Uh, and you really, there's no way you can take their current and growth EBITDA and add any sensible multiple on it and come to any price lo lower than $250. It just wouldn't get done in the private markets. Uh, the owners wouldn't be willing to part with the business at anything lower, but in the public markets, Mr. Market is a manic depressive. And as I said on Monday uh, to a friend, I said, you know, uh, Mr. Market's a manic depressive today and it looks like the supply chain uh, kinks um, created a shortage of uh, bipolar medication because it's gone completely off the rails today. Um, so, um, so anyway, this is an embodiment of pure panic and capitulation. This, this person said, I should have never bought Baba. We'll be selling everything at a 70% loss. I'm crying ATM. I guess that means at the moment. And then some other person chimed in, or you could hold it. Is there a particular reason why you need to sell? And they said, no particular reason, just lost faith in BABA and don't want the losses to go to 
Okay, so this is exactly what creates the swings in markets. Uh, just lost faith. There's nothing here like, oh, I believe the business is impaired 50% more than my original analysis on the basis of X, Y, and Z. There's a new cloud competitor that the government is sponsoring or some, some, something that would be like a mathematical, like, like um, Seth Klarman says, contrarian streak and a calculator. There's no calculator in just lost faith. There, nothing changed in the intrinsic business. Nothing changed to the percentage of ownership in that company. Nothing changed in terms of what this business would sell at in a private market transaction and take private transaction. There's no way it goes out uh, under $250 a share or $300 a share, even despite all of the pessimism and cynicism. So um, we're burdened, and, and this is not to pick on this person. That's why I deleted their name. Uh, it's to show that you know, when you're dealing in quality and you're dealing with these extremes to recognize that panic and that's why you have to be ready to pounce. And you never are in your first cycle. This is probably a first cycle person. It's usually by the second or third cycle when you've seen this over and over again that you know in periods of panic, you go to the highest quality assets in the sector, market, or country that you are looking at and you pounce aggressively. And this is no different than what you saw from the um, uh, Legatum CIO, uh, Philip Vassiliou, uh, and um, uh, Christopher and Richard Chandler, who turned the 10 million into 5 billion. Every single instance, they were in these markets that no one wanted to touch at the moment, and when they turned, they turned hard, and they made multi-baggers, and then just repeated the process. And that's exactly what we're doing here, uh, and we're gonna have the same type of results. Now, uh, we, well, 10 million into 5 billion from my lips to God's ears. I'm not sure about that, but, uh, but certainly um, above, uh, well above average over time. And, uh, and if we're lucky and catch a couple breaks, maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll do half as well as they did. But uh, we're burdened by the facts and know what we own. And here are the facts that we're, we were prepared with uh, from Sunday evening and post on Monday before the opening. Number one, long thread on Baba. A friend asked this morning what I was doing with our portfolio position, Baba. Given the news over the weekend, my reply was, quote, our play is to wait it out, not buying, not selling, just waiting. So you have to keep in mind that um, in the morning, it was unclear that the U.S. market was going to rally. So it was like the best of both worlds. Uh, the best value in my portfolio was going down and the lower values, which I call the queen because the queen has the most optionality of any chess piece. And the pawns, which were, you know, maybe doubles, maybe a couple of them might have been you know, 150% over three years. Um, but those were mostly going up. So I was able to sell off those assets that had 100% upside and trade it out for assets that had four, five, 600% upside. Um, and that's what created that. So as the market created that opportunity and the market was going up midday, we switched our posture from holding to added modestly, swapped out a few pawns for a queen. We'll see if more opportunity in coming days. And then by midday, 2% equity capital add, which is a 10% increase in the position, uh, saving another 1% to see if we get 50s. So number two, Alibaba still has 36.7% share of the cloud market, which is expected to triple over the next few years. With operating margin at scale, that could be add as much as 60% of new operating income above peak levels when the stock traded at 319. So we, we've gone through this in recent weeks. Uh, you know, uh, 
Alley Cloud is where AWS was in 2016 at about $11 billion of revenue with low operating margin. AWS is now $62 billion with 29% operating margin. And we think that uh, Alibaba can hold that trajectory because they have a higher share in the markets that they operate in. And uh, China is five to seven years behind the U.S. in terms of uh, digitization, which is a high priority of the government, uh, which is now a tailwind for Alibaba, which was a headwind uh, in the past. Now, and the semiconductor things are uh, is fantastic for Alibaba because they're developing AI chips for the cloud and the government likes any company that develops chips now that they can't get the ones that they want from the United States. Uh, China's public cloud market to triple by 2020. Okay, so that's where you can see the source article on the McKinsey. Uh, this is even in the event e-commerce business stagnates in coming years, which is not our base case. Revenues have grown 800% and earnings 500% since the IPO in 2014, and the stock is trading below that price. So you get a business that's 800 times, 800%, eight times larger or five times larger for less than the price that it IPO'd at. And uh, the market serves these up, you know, once or twice in a generation, once or twice in a lifetime. And you can, uh, when the market serves that up, Market holds, a, you know, Wall Street's the only place when they hold a clearance sale, everyone runs out of the store. You know, Target puts TVs on sale and people are, you know, tripping over themselves to get in, in the store for Christmas. Um, so, or you can be the person who sells in the hole uh, or pukes out in capitulation because you haven't done, done the homework. And that's, you know, that's the difference that uh, the fine line that separates success and failure. You know, basically what this person's telling you is, if it had only gone down to 75, they would have held and rode it back up to 300. But because it went to 61 um, or 59, they, they couldn't take it anymore and they got out. But what changed in that 24 hours about the business? What changed about the earnings growth? What changed about the cloud opportunity? What changed about the Ant financial valuation? What changed? Absolutely nothing. Same boss. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. So for everyone that's uh, you know, worried about Xi Jinping, it's the same guy who's been in power for the last 10 years. And we're gonna distinguish why China stocks have been in the gutter and, and actually discern that it hasn't just been Chinese stocks. It's been a lot of stocks that are correlated with a strong dollar. So um, th uh, here it is, number four. Outside of this week's noise, Alibaba has noth been nothing but a leveraged currency trade. Let me repeat that. Outside of this week's noise, BABA has been nothing but a leveraged currency trade. When the US dollar goes down, emerging markets, Alibaba, uh, FXI, which is a Chinese uh, ETF index, and KWEB, which is the Internet China ETF, ETF, go up. And when the dollar goes up, emerging markets, BABA, China, and China Internet go down. Note, emerging markets, Baba, not only emerging markets in Baba, but also Warren Buffett backed Brazilian stocks like Newbank and Stoneco, which are consumer, uh, Stoneco is consumer credit, Newbank is uh, online banking in Brazil. And what, what happens here? So let's look. This chart here is the US dollar. When it goes down, what happens? Emerging markets rally like it's going out of style. KWeb rallies like it's going out of style. Baba rallies like it's going out of style. Uh, and uh, these two Brazilian stocks weren't weren't uh, Buffett back stocks weren't around weren't public back then. 
But then what happens? The dollar goes up and what happens automatically? Emerging markets collapse, uh, China internet collapses, BABA collapses. The dollar levels off, all of these things level off, level off, do nothing for a few years. The dollar peaks and goes down. You have the biggest rally in emerging markets. Uh, you know, in a year, you have like 100% return in the index, in BABA, in all of these different things. Oh, and by the way, as the dollar comes down, what goes up is Stoneco, which is Brazilian. It has nothing to do with Xi Jinping's policies or lack thereof. And then guess what happens? In um, June of 2021, the dollar, well, actually it starts going up in January of 2000, 2021, the dollar starts going up, little fake out, guess what happens? The emerging markets peak and roll over, uh, China internet peaks and rolls over, BABA peaks and rolls over, and what does the market attribute it to fully? Xi Jinping caused all of these stocks to go down. Well, if it was Xi Jinping only, why did the emerging markets collapse? Why did Warren Buffett's Stone Co., which is a Brazilian consumer credit company, completely collapse exactly the same way that K-Web and emerging markets as a whole, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, etc., and Alibaba. Why did they all crash at the same time and New Bank crash because the dollar was strong? And that's the key. And we've been talking about that in the past, but the, the correlation really hit me over the weekend when I was, you know, we've spent a lot of uh, talking about Xi's policies and uh, stimulus and all that stuff. This is going to change. Brazilian equities, uh, Buffett-backed Brazilian equities, Alibaba, uh, K-Web, emerging markets as a whole. This is going to hockey stick and go to the moon just like it did every time once the dollar stops going up and reverses. And we think we're there. We're going to talk about why. Now, number five, if all of the decline in Chinese stocks is attributable to Xi, the, uh, or uh, someone commented, I should say, Xi, not Xi, Xi, uh, the CCP and zero COVID policy. Why did Buffett-backed Brazilian stocks, Stone Co. and New Bank suffer the same fate during the same time? She has no effect on the Brazilian consumer. And there it is. Uh, six, this week she vowed to grow China to a medium-level developed country by 2035, which according to economists requires an average 4.7% annual growth rate going forward. That does not happen with continued restrictive policies. Uh, uh, you can read the article here. Seven, zero COVID policy or not, eventually the virus will die out on its own in China, just as it did in 1918 to 1920 in the U.S., with no vaccines, by the way, never mind vaccines that don't work like they have in China, but no vaccines. Uh, best guess they had are having their third and final mini wave uh, like in 1919. So they had this in 2020, then they had their second big one. They're probably through this now or at the tail end of this, maybe maybe right here, uh, and it'll just die out eventually on its own. Eight, while everyone watches Xi and compares Xi and talk, compares him to Mao, I'll be watching the US dollar. When that trajectory changes, Baba will turn from being a drag on performance to being a contributor to performance that's less likely in 2022. Although we do have a lot of catalysts before the end of the year. Um, uh, if we'll see November 2nd with the Fed, uh, um, Nick 
Tazarios at the Wall Street Journal is the Fed whisperer. I think we discussed it. Or no, his article came out on Friday. That caused the market to turn and rally, basically saying the Fed is debating how are they going to do 75 and then signal that they're going less uh, in, in December. And the market has just rallied uh, basically ever since. So, um, so you could have that situation. And if they do signal that November 2nd is the last 75 hike and it's going lower, uh, then you're going to see continued weakness in the dollar. Uh, yields are going to tighten up and, um, and, and, and emerging markets are going to get a bid. Then you've got uh, earnings coming up for um, Alibaba, which if you remember, while the country was shut down in Q2, they were surprisingly strong. So that will be good. Then you have the uh, dual primary listing in Hong Kong, which will bring $30 billion of new buyers in before the end of the year. Imagine you know, seeing the Amazon truck come up to your house every single day, but not being able to buy the stock for the last 10 years. Well, that's what mainland China buyers are like. So whether we'll see if institutions start to run, front run that new 30 billion of buying demand that's supposed to occur, uh, that uh, primary Hong Kong listing is supposed to occur by the end of this year. Then you've got the delisting auditors, the PCAOB. My guess is if Xi and Biden meet at the G20 in November, my guess is that gets completed before the end of the year. Uh, it takes delisting in the U.S. off the table, which could be another catalyst for the stock. So there are some things that could contribute. Uh, this this por portion of the portfolio could contribute before the end of the year. But the dollar move is, is uh, you know, could start in earnest before year end, but very likely in 2023 and 2024. Uh, and number nine, as for the U.S. dollar, here's how we're thinking about it as we laid out in our article and video cast last Thursday. So um, what you see here is in the green line, the commercial hedgers, they're always early and they're always right. Let me see where else I put this. Okay. Yeah, so the commercial hedgers are the green line at the bottom of the chart above, currently short the U.S. dollar just as they were before the drops in 2019, 2017, 2015, 2012, 2010, 2009, 2005. In our view, when the dollar declines, Baba will soar regardless of she. And um, this was a key point that I made in post number nine. I expect we'll see it in the 50s, and I think we did get into 59 for a minute, but maybe we'll get another bite at it, I don't know. Uh, and add, it depends on the dollar, and add more again this week. But here's how we're thinking about it at the moment. This was on Monday in the middle of the, the chaos. And you could see the chaos. All you need to look at is this. Look at this. 473 likes, 91 retreats, 49 comments. You could tell people were like panicking about Alibaba on Monday. Um, so... Here, here's what we said in the middle of the day. While everyone was puking out, we said, look, again, it goes back to Seth Klarman. Marriage of a contrarian streak and a calculator. Here's the calculator, ladies and gentlemen. Biz uh, the business is, is currently worth about $26.50. They have about $26.50 a share in cash. The stock was trading at whatever it was, $61. 26.50 of that was cash. Business value is $33.50 today. That's what Alibaba was trading at on Monday, which is basically the value of Ant Financial. If you don't know, uh, as an owner of Alibaba, you own one third of Ant Financial, which is the largest financial services business in Asia. Um, 
And so that $33 alone is worth the value of Ant over time. On Monday, the market was ascribing $0 to the largest e-commerce business in Asia and China and $0 to the fastest cloud business, fastest growing cloud business in the world uh, with $11 billion, $12 billion a top line, soon to be uh, $30 billion in the next two to three years if McKinsey is right, which we think they will be. Um, and they ascribed $0. You could get those two businesses for free on Monday and people couldn't get rid of their stock fast enough. Even Jesus was skeptical. <laughs> this guy, I, I erased his name, but his avatar is a picture of Jesus. And he said, replied to all of this stuff, he said, war with Taiwan isn't priced in. And my reply, and maybe that's true, but I said, you know, K-Web is down 81%. What level would you need to see before you felt like that risk was priced in? Please use historical context and data. I mean, even in the Great Depression, uh, the Dow dropped 80%. In the tech rack, uh, 80, 90%. I mean, at some point you have to step in and be a buyer, not of the penny stocks of China or mid and small cap gambles in China or speculative risky stocks in China. We're talking about the biggest businesses in all of China, you know, the 10 cents, the Alibabas, etc. the highest quality. If they go down, it's mutually assured destruction. The government goes down. And, um, and, that, and that's what we're talking about. So uh, there was one guy with a sense of humor in the midst of all the chaos. Um, he said, not looking at my portfolio this morning. Instead, I'm having an IPA. And my guess is he was listening to Alan, Alan Jackson. It's five o'clock somewhere. Now, he also posted this picture, which I'm not going to read the full thing, but you can read for yourself. And it's the former president, Chinese president, Hu, Hu Jintao, um, there were all these rounds that he was forcibly removed from the China National Congress on Sunday, like some type of like coup out with the old, etc. And many reputable news organizations reported that was the case. Except when you look at the video of the three minutes before he was mo removed, um, you may draw a different conclusion. But at the end of the day, the narrative was that uh, Xi, Xi had him forcibly removed from the Congress, uh, disrespectfully removed. Uh, I think you'll find that's not the case after you watch the actual footage. But um, <laughs> so, so everyone thought that this former president would be upset. And as he walked by Xi, he said, you know what? You do look like a blank bear. Uh, and, and it's the old uh, joke, uh, you know, Winnie the Pooh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, anyway, there was one, one guy who kind of got it right, like the, it, it, absolute silly season on Monday. Um, we covered the dollar. Number 12, while everyone watches GN Mao, I'll be watching the dollar when that trajectory changes. Okay, so we covered here. Um, current valuations of the dollar are 1.8 standard deviations above the long-term average. Uh, FMS investors saying the U.S. dollar is overvalued up to two percentage points month on month to net 61%, highest reading on record. Uh, USD valuation and trade weighted index, you can see all time high. Uh, and in the fund manager survey, which we covered last week, it was the most crowded trade. And you know that as you know, once there are no buyers left, uh, everyone gets to one side of the boat. It's good good time to take the other side, and that's where we are with the dollar. 13, oddly, the Hang Seng as a whole is now trading at the same levels as when we bought Wells Fargo in the mid-20s during the pandemic lows. If you remember, we bought at a 55% discount to book. Uh, the 
um, entire Hang Seng is now trading at that level. The only time it's got even close was the uh, pandemic lows and um, the late 90s, both of which times they had monster, monster rallies afterwards. When given, so just like we bought uh, Wells Fargo with that huge margin of safety and sold in the mid 50s uh, from the mid 20s, um, when, when given lemons, what do you make? So some people here are, are jamming the lemons in their eyes, selling out their stock at the lows and crying. Other people are, are holding or adding and they're going to benefit from the recovery over the next few years. So uh, 14, I doubt this story will get much traction today. While all this was going on, China GDP beat <laughs> estimates with a bounce in the third quarter. You can look at the economic data. Their exports grew by 5.7% versus 4.1% estimated, which means their factories are humming. The trade balance uh, beat expectations. Their GDP year-on-year -year was up 3.9% versus 3.4% expected versus 0.4% the previous quarter when they were in lockdown. So everyone's saying they're still in lockdown. They went from up four tenths of a percent to up 3.9%. Uh, and then um, their gain over the previous quarter was uh, Q on Q was 3.9% as well. Industrial production beat expectations 6.3 versus 4.5. Again, marriage of a contrarian streak and a calculator. This is a calculator. So why aren't we getting paid for knowing all this yet? We're not getting paid for knowing all this yet because the dollar whether you're a Brazilian company or an emerging market uh, company or anything else, until this dollar weakens or stops going up, these are gonna be under pressure. And once this reverses, these are gonna reverse like nobody's business. Uh, and we're gonna talk a little bit about that on some of the updates this week, how that might, might be happening. Um, okay, what's next for China Xi? Um, you should just read this. I don't, I'm not going to spend, we're at 29 minutes. I'm not going to spend five minutes reading this, but do read this short-term challenge. I'll just give you the summary. Short-term challenges remain, including zero COVID policy, the real estate bubble, U.S. technology sanctions in 2022 will be one of Chinese economy's worst, worst years in recent history, but pragmatic and rational governments has been enabling China to overcome major public policy challenges for decades. And that is not going to change. China will bounce back from its current struggles in short, don't bet against China and Xi. The great Chinese growth story will continue. That's from uh, Kishmore Mahbubani. Um, uh, all you need to know is the author is not Chinese. And uh, it's in Project Syndicate. What's next for China is the thing. Uh, 16 hat tip to my friend Tiho who sent this on Monday. Probably a handful of bloody days ahead. Uh, well, I said this. Probably a handful of bloody days ahead but see if it's made sense to be a buyer or seller or holder historically at these extremes. And what he sent me was this Bloomberg chart, which was showing the Hang Seng down 6% for the day. And you haven't seen that since the great financial crisis. And you know, you wanted to be a buyer then. 17, 19 years ago, 20, uh, 2003, 2004, um, the bulk of China's population, you got to adjust this by two year, was 33 years old. That's this bulk group here that's now like 53. Um, they started housing and family formation. Today, the echo boom is 33 years old. This is the green circle, nearly as large as the blue circle was 
in 2003-2004. And here's what happened next. So again, this is when this blue group here was 33 years old. This was the bottom in 2003-2004. You had a 300% rally in the Hang Seng Index off the lows. And by the way, this sell down, these sell downs all look the same. They do this leg, then they do this leg sweep at the bottom, and then they take it off. Leg, leg sweep at the bottom, or two in this case, then they take it off. Leg sweep at the bottom, then they take off. Leg sweep at the bottom, then they take off. Uh, So history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. You've got this exact same thing. You've got this exact same sell-off, and we're all coming to that. Does that change things on Monday? I don't know. Does it change it in two weeks? I don't know. Two months? Yeah, two, you know, and two years is going to be a completely different world. My bet would be the Hang Seng is back at new highs within two years and beyond that in three to five. Uh, and I think that's going to be the last run for China, by the way. Um, in my view, points four to five and 10 to 11 are the most important quote unquote discoveries, although they're not really discoveries because I've been talking about them for a little while. I made over the weekend. While valuation will matter, I think what was new was the fact that I overlaid all of emerging markets and overlaid the, the Buffett's uh, Brazilian stocks did the exact same thing as Baba did and Xi's policies don't affect Brazilian stocks uh, directly. So uh, while valuation will matter for relative performance when the dollar weakens, in other words, the dollar can weaken, but crappy businesses will still go out of business and uh, or won't grow. Uh, but if you get a dollar weakening and you're in the best businesses in China, you're gonna get the biggest bang for your buck. The greatest valuation slash business won't get credit until the dollar weakens. For the investment's performance moving forward, I would assign 70% weight to what the dollar does, 25% weight to the fundamentals of the business, which are strong and undervalued, and 5% to G's policies. And most people spend 95% on G's policies when, when push comes to shove, it's all about the dollar and the business. Um, and this week was case in point as the dollar represented in the blue line here uh, weakened. The dollar went down 2.15%. What happened to Alibaba? It recovered 15.5% in two days. Dollar weakened 2%. Alibaba uh, increased 15.5%. So what if the dollar actually fell um, 10%? You know, we could see a 75% appreciation in Alibaba at that pace. It's not a perfect one-to-one, but you get the idea. Uh, Where we will get the benefit of some of the parts and fundamentals is once the dollar has weakened, we believe Alibaba will be one of, if not the best performer amongst high-quality Chinese stock in coming years. The intrinsic value of the business can and will continue to grow. When we realize the benefits in price, which is a function of the dollar, we will will be determined by when and how much the dollar weakens in coming days, weeks, months, and years. In effect, it's a leveraged, it's a leveraged currency trade with the stability of a durable, moated business as its collateral. Um, let me repeat that because it's important. In effect, it's a leveraged currency trade with the stability of a durable, moated business as its collateral. As for the people concerned about the appointments, uh, Keith Zai, Wall Street Journal senior correspondent, posted this analysis on Sunday. Um, and you should read this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it was really good. Basically, people thought that Lee Kuang was a bad choice, but he notes this anecdote where he asked, it a, bil- asked a billionaire um, tycoon, Chinese tycoon, who he would like to see, who was most business friendly. And uh, he said, okay, to that end, two call. one Chinese business tycoon who knows Mr. Lee for years says he's actually a bit more positive about the economy than he was. Mr. Lee and Wang Yang were the be- are the best cards, 
But if he gets to choose, he would probably choose Mr. Lee, the tycoon said. Um, as, a business, as a business executive who met with 10 plus party heads over the years, said Lee Kang is probably the best he met. He recalled a meeting he had with Lee some years ago and said Lee didn't mention any political jargon during the entire meeting, a rare act by senior cadres. Um, so that, that, that's all you need to know. Um, Michael Burry, uh, you, you may, uh, posted this on Tuesday after the rebound started. You may know the name from the book movie, The Big Short. He made a fortune uh, identifying another once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, shorting housing during the great financial crisis. I think he made a couple hundred million for himself. Uh, transition opportunities like this don't come around often. And he's showing the long-term chart of the Hang Seng, which I was showing you from a demographic standpoint. Um, and I love the, the quote that he starts with, meet the new boss, which is Xi, same as the old boss, which is Xi. The Hang Seng recently hit 1997 levels, 25 years, yet GDP multiplied 18 times during that time from 1997 to today. So GDP multiplied 18x and you're getting it, the, the index for the same price that you did in 1997 uh, when valuations were 20 times earnings, uh, 10 times uh, EV to sales, three times tangible book. Now valuations are seven times earnings, one times enterprise value to sales, and one times tangible book. Uh, Note, three of the last four premieres served three terms. So for everyone who thinks this is unusual for this guy to get three terms, uh, I guess it's more common than we think. The key points you should take away from everything I've written this week are the following. I'm a big believer in Occam's razor. While I've spent a lot of ink and talk on G's policy and the amazing underlying fundamentals of Alibaba, at the end of the day, it all comes down to one key factor as to when the money finally starts rolling in on this investment. It's the U.S. dollar. If it was only Xi's crackdown, delisting, earnings, etc., then why did emerging markets index and major co companies in Brazil and throughout all emerging markets crash along with Baba? Xi and his policies have little bearing on what happens to consumers in Brazil or the rest of the countries in emerging markets. The chart I put together shows that both Chinese equities uh, trade in direct correlation. So we've covered this. You can go through that again. When the dollar declines, Baba will soar regardless of Xi. While nothing material will happen until the dollar sustains some weakness, sniffs out Fed hiking coming to an end in coming months, uh, which they basically said as much, there may be some further good fundamental news on the horizon. This is from an onshore securities firm. This person, Shanghai Macro, translated it uh, into English. And what they, they make five key points. Number one, 2023 earnings growth still is at 5%. Number, they haven't taken that down. Number two, a new batch of stimulus is coming in, likely coming in weeks. There's no talk about that yet in the media. That would be a positive catalyst. Three, expect further easing of restrictions on cross-border traveling. Well, that got announced today. This tweet was from Monday. That actually got done today. Uh, number four, domestic zero COVID, more uncertain, meaning it's going to unwind. And number five, Beijing may remove the debt ceiling on local governments to allow them to spend and stimulate. So, so far, number three was announced already. Number two and four would be very welcome. And you can see the articles here. China signals easing of COVID restrictions for foreign business. China plans to increase international flights from this weekend already. Uh, JP Morgan's Kalanovic calls China stock sell-off a buying moment. And China equity sell-off not on fundamentals creates opportunity, JP Morgan. 
Now, on to our auto supplier, because we've got some good news here with Ford and GM uh, reporting earnings this week. So shifting gears, another of our top three positions is an auto supplier named Cooper Standard. We made our case for the stock several months ago, originally on Fox Business, the Clayman Countdown on June 7th, 2022 with Liz Clayman, and executed across accounts at $5, around $5.50. It is now up 52%. Uh, as of yesterday's close in the last five months. Uh, I think it's got a couple more percent today, so 54 or 55. See the original clip below. So you can see the June 7th clip when we talked about that publicly. Uh, for the uh, viewers of the Claim and Countdown, you took advantage. Uh, and uh, for everyone on our video cast, obviously uh, took advantage. So here's a little company background on Cooper Standard for the newer readers. They have leading market positions across all core pro product lines. They're number one in sealing systems. They're number two in fuel and brake delivery systems. And they're number three in fluid transfer systems. 53% of, of their business is out of the U.S. They have a diverse global consumer base from Mercedes to Ford to GM to Stellantis, to Honda, you name it, they have it. Uh, and they're partnering with their customers on the top 10 platforms, Ford F-150, Chevy Silverado, Ram 1500, all the stuff that's selling like crazy. Uh, and this was an interesting thing when I originally came to look at the company because I thought about what about, you know, if the uh, conversion from ICE to EV goes faster than I anticipate, what's the downside? Well, the downside is actually upside because they make 20% more per car on electric vehicles than they do on internal combustion engine vehicles, which is amazing. That'll give us more margin as the years go out, but they do eight parts for ICEs, 28 parts for hybrids, and 20 parts for EVs. Uh, full year guidance, they are guiding still adjusted EBITDA of 50 to $60 million, uh, which I think uh, points to 30 to 50 for Q3 and Q4. We're gonna find out on November 1st, they report earnings. Uh, they went cash flow positive first quarter for the uh, since the pandemic, since the chip shortage rather. And now chips have been flowing in since June. We'll see if they're able to uh, follow uh, GM's and Ford's lead and um, reaffirm their guidance. Because if they do these kind of numbers, they're going to have very little trouble refinancing or may not even need to refinance. They can just pay off out of liquidity over the next year, year and a half. Uh, their liquidity is currently $406 million, 250 of cash, $156 billion they can draw from an uh, ABL. They've got refinancings coming up for November of 2023 and June of 2024. Um, and, um, and this is what the business looks like. And this is why we got interested. If you look at peak pre-COVID peak earnings power based on industry volumes, take a look what happened here. This is the IHS car, uh, global light vehicle production million units. So in 2017, the peak production was like, I don't know, 88, am I bowling this, like 88 million units. It's expected to return back to that in the next couple of years. So if you look at their peak revenues and EBITDA, um, you know, while it would be great if they finished the year with 50 to 60 million, it's nothing compared to the operating leverage in the business. Uh, in 2016, you can see 456. They did nine, they did $8 a share in earnings on that EBITDA. So, and traded up to $147. So if we get anywhere close to 80 million cars over the next couple of years, which they're basically projecting pretty hockey stick 2023 and 2024, 
um, you know, you have, you'll have uh, not $8 because the margins will increase from the index-based contracting and uh, more EVs, higher margin. Uh, you'll be probably looking at $9 a share in earnings. You put a trough multiple on that of 10 times. It's a $90 stock. You put a peak multiple like that in 2017. You got $180. So, I mean, you know, you take, take some off in tranches on the way up. Obviously, you know, all kinds of variables are involved, but the margin of safety is fine. The risk margin of safety is great. The risk is the refinancing. But I think now, based on the semiconductors coming in as of June, that, that refinancing risk is really going to diminish. Uh, and, um, and maybe we'll get some color on that on the November 1st call. My best guess, if I had to bet on it, uh, how the refinancing goes, I don't think it's, it may change before the end of the year. You did see the Mobileye IPO trade up huge yesterday. So there is some risk appetite coming back into the market. Uh, spreads are calming a little bit and maybe that will increase after November 2nd and after the election and after Xi meets with Putin and now there's talks of bringing Russia and Biden to speak together and all these good things could happen. If you remember, I was pounding the table the last few weeks. No one's positioned for any good news. Everyone's asking me about black, black swans. I want to talk about some white swans. And we're starting to see it in the equity market. Sure enough, uh, we ran out of sellers, as you remember my quote from two weeks ago. Um, but my best guess is what happens is that what's due next year at the end of next year is a term loan. Uh, my guess is they'll pay a fee and extend the term. Uh, that one is, I think, Eurobor plus 275. So let's call it 6%. So maybe they extend it out to, you know, extend it out six or 12 months, pay an extra two, three percentage of interest and maybe pay 10 or $20 million for that uh, ability. And then boom, the going concern uh, letter, which means nothing uh, is off the table for this year. And then they've got two years and you get this hockey stick in production and then people will be begging to give them money. So uh, that's my best guess. You get like a partial extension at slightly worse terms but that gives them all the time they need for this to play out. And then uh, they can just literally pay it out from cash flow if they want to. But, you know, like everything works in life, when you don't need the money, they give you the money. And, uh, and the same will be true with, uh, with Cooper Standard. So while the real catalyst will be refinancing and a continuation of their cash flow positive turn last quarter, now that auto chips are flowing into the OEMs, we did receive good news from their two largest clients, GM and Ford this week. And the stock showed some correlated buoyancy. Stock was up this week in English. Ford. Uh, okay. So number one, supply shortages left about 40, this is for Ford, 40,000 vehicles on wheels built but awaiting needed parts in inventory at the end of September. Uh, they're going to get those through before the end of the year. They affirm that guidance and uh, a billion more in higher than expected supplier payments. Those are going to Cooper Standard because uh, they've now got index-based contracts. So they're getting higher margins on all contracts to account for the increase in costs. Uh, and the OEMs are now taking care of their suppliers because they have to. If the suppliers go out, they're not going to be able to uh, capitalize on all this two years of pent-up demand. Oldest fleet in the history of cars, 13.1 years on average. So uh, Ford expects to complete the vehicles and sell them to dealers during Q4. Um, okay. Uh, that uh, they're going to uh, full year EBIT of about 11.5 billion. That's 15% higher than last year. Uh, that would imply 10% year over year growth in wholesale shipments. So that'll be a positive thing. 
higher earnings in North America, no further deterioration in the supply chain, strong pent-up demand for orders uh, and orders for Ford's newest products, and they raised their full year adjusted free cash flow, raised their goal for full year adjusted free cash flow to between 9.5 billion to 10 billion, up from 5.5 to 6.5 on strength in the company's automobile operations. And you can see their key metrics, um, wholesale units, uh, up 7% from last year for the third quarter, up 9% year to date from, from the previous year. Uh, so if they're saying 10%, that means they're going to uh, hockey stick in Q4. More and more cars are coming in. The dealers I play golf with, they're multiple at my club, all say the same thing. They're coming in uh, much faster. They actually ne and now have some inventory on the lots. Uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, Q3 wholesalers up 7% driven by improvement in supply chain constraints and EV scaling. Uh, okay, total automotive wholesale units. For Q3, you can see that increase. And then, uh, what is this? Uh, year to date, 2022. Look at the jump in uh, North America in particular, which is their bread and butter for uh, Cooper Standard. Went from 1407, first three, first three quarters of last year to 1700. That's a huge, that's almost 20%. Uh, that's a big deal. Not quite, but... Yeah, that is. Uh, and then total went from 2.8 million to 3.0. So, you know, uh, slightly under 10%, which is, which is good. Uh, GM, on the other hand, was even better. Record third quarter revenue and uh, double-digit EBITDA adjusted margins. Affirming our full-year guidance. Demand continues to be f strong for GM products. Earned more than 8% uh, of the EV market share in the third quarter. Record revenue, reaffirming full-year guidance, truck dominance, uh, EV sales up, dealer inventories are up, so they're shipping, so they're getting all the parts they need and shipping them. Uh, if you look at Q3 2021, their dealer inventories were at 129, and now they're at 359, which is a big improvement. Uh, overall improvement in the industry volume versus constrained Q3 2021. You can see it was at wholesale was 113,000. Now it's 182,000. That's a huge jump. Increased resale sales paired with strong pricing offset uh, by commodity headwinds and no change in their wholesale volume increase. They expect 25 to 30% full year wholesale volume increase. That's huge for Cooper Standard. You can see the global deliveries. Um, went from 1.3 last year to 1.5 this year. And then you're just seeing the demand. Here's an article in the US, USA Today I caught. Uh, she's uh, talking about un unrelenting demand for new vehicles. It's crazy, said Thad Scott, whose dealerships sell Ford, Toyota, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram trucks in Michigan, all customers of Cooper Standard. Text messages, Facebook Messenger, and phone calls come in early, late, and on weekends, he said. This is from this week, by the way. Uh, yesterday, actually. Quote, there's a lot of demand out there. I explained there's a huge inventory shortage. They have to order something or be flexible if they want something sooner. Uh, Ford says its factory workers are building vehicles as fast as possible. Ford is making deliveries to dealerships. So, so folks have something to buy off the lot. 
Uh, at one point, almost everything coming in was sold. I've got hundreds of vehicles that are built or in the process of being built and shipped to us. We have supply now. There is availability on the ground. That means that uh, we should see that reflected in Cooper's third and fourth quarter, and they should be able to maintain their, their nice guidance. Um, as far as the U.S. market outlook, no change over last week. You can click here to see the full presentation. And if you haven't been with us last week, I suggest you do because we went through all the conditions precedent in terms of sentiment and positioning that would lead to the rally that was triggered on Friday the next day by the Fed Whisper article in the Wall Street Journal that uh, November was going to be the last 75. I uh, want to thank uh, Phil Yin also for having me on CGTN to talk tech earnings. You want to check this out because everyone says all the headlines are tech earnings are disastrous. But if you go through line by line, uh, it's not the case um, at all. Uh, so bear, burden yourself with the facts. Um, you know, their, their standard search business was up. YouTube was down 2%. That's what everyone was worried about. Their cloud grew 37%. So just go through them line by line and you'll be pretty surprised actually how relatively decent they were. Um, so sentiment is still bearish, but it's improving, which means we've got a lot more upside with equities before year end. Uh, neutral on the fear and greed and the positioning managers have ha started to have to chase up since Friday. So it's good to see at 43%. Also, big hats off. Thank you to Feedspot uh, and all of the viewers uh, watching today who have been loyal with us over the last three years uh, and recent joins. You've made our podcast number one in the hedge fund category. We're very grateful. You can go see that at Feedspot and... Um, there it is, 20 best hedge fund podcasts, hedge fund tips with Tom Hayes, number one, and you can go, go down through the list. So uh, very grateful for that. All right, moving right along, uh, here's an article about biotech bargains. That's our, one of our, that's our third largest uh, position. Biotechs are usually bought out by big farmers. So basically the theme of this article is investors hunt for biotech bargains as market shows signs of a thaw. And we saw that with the initial deal making uh, start to tick up. But what they say is what we put out with our original thesis. The group is now up materially off the May lows, um, 61 to 80, so 30 some odd percent. Uh, but I think, we're, I think we're in the same position. The last time you fell this much, this is the XBI equal weighted, uh, it fell 50% in anticipation of the tightening cycle that started from 2016 to 2018. It rose 140% over the next two years. I think we're right here. You know, if you saw this, you finally got the bottom after the tightening was underway. Uh, and then you had a little ramp up, a little breather. We'll probably get another spurt up the next couple of months and then grind sideways. But the key is we're going to make it back up to new highs over the next couple of years and we're going to make a lot of money. So uh, that's uh, going along the same track. It feels slow sometimes, but, you know, they, like I always say, they don't give you multi-baggers for free. You got to earn them. And most of the things about earning them in the investment markets is time. It's, we're in the time arbitrage business while other people can't wait and they get shaken out in these little things. We just hang on and we make doubles and triples and we just rinse and repeat. Um, biotechs are usually bought out by big pharmaceutical companies who have financial muscle to fund large phase three clinical trials and commercialize successful treatments. The conditions appear rife for an M&A boom. Big drug, drug makers are sitting on almost $300 billion of cash and many, including Merck and Bristol-Myers Squibb, need to refill their pipelines because of major patent expiries in the second half of the decade. There have been some deals in recent months. Bought, Pfizer bought Biohaven for $11.6 Global Blood Therapeutics for $5.4 billion. 
While in the summer, Merck was in talks for a $40 billion bid for oncology company CGen, according to people close to the deals. Um, but there's less than activity than some in the market expected, obviously, because of the equity sell-off. Uh, but here's the cash. They have cash. They certainly have the motivation with patent cliffs and expiries coming. So many companies want to talk to them. Big drug makers sitting on $300 billion, and you can see the cash here. Pfizer, J&J, Novartis, etc. Instead of being bought at the bottom, many biotechs prefer partnerships with Big Pharma. Uh, done recent deals or biotech. Yeah. Funding options. So you can read this article at Financial Times. It's a great time to invest. It's the sale of the century. You just have to get the right deal and structure, he said. So that's that. Uh, some, some updates, guys, uh, before we wrap up. And I'll try to go through these quick because we, we did cover a lot. And, uh, and it is my 15-year anniversary, so i got to get cooking here. Uh, question here from Ronaldo Trades. Meta thoughts. Um, you know, I, I think Meta is a, a home run at these levels. I think he's spending too much money. Uh, I'm going to wait and see. I may not get the opportunity, but if it does, there are a lot of buyers at $75 if you look at volume by price. So when fundamentals don't matter, you have to look at some technical stuff. There are a lot of, there's not a lot of support until 75. If the thing goes to anywhere close to 75, I'll sell anything that's not nailed down and buy as much of it as I can. At 100, I should be buying it, but we're, we're fully invested. And like, honestly, you know, I think Facebook would be like 200% over the next five years, whereas Baba, I could get, 500% from these levels. So my first priority is to, you know, uh, if opportunity presents itself, more BABA. But then, you know, from there, there could be some catalysts that create uh, opportunities to do something like Facebook if it, if it goes lower. I don't know if it's going to go much lower, but if it did go to 75, I, I, would, I would be finding a way to buy some no matter what. Uh, yeah, I should be doing that at 100, but it is what it is. Um, it, you got to pick your best opportunities. Um, can you discuss Didi and whether it's a good buy? John uh, Harla, thank you for the question. Um, Didi is the Uber of China. They've been in the governance crosshairs since the get-go because they jumped the gun on the IPO. I would say no because there's no reason that the government wants them to like, there's no tailwind behind them like, like Alibaba with the chips in the cloud. Um, but if the dollar does go down, DD will rise. And because it's like a penny stock, it'll, it could rise a lot. It's not for me. I don't want to take country and company risk. Uh, I want to just deal in the highest quality in, in a market like that. JT Investor. Uh, okay, JT Investor. Hi, Tom. Rough stuff to the week. So this was at 11.01 a.m. when everyone was panicking along with potentially JT. Uh, given all your solid research you conducted leading up to the China meeting with the assumption that Xi remains in power, what new information became available that was not part of your underwriting? This seems to be like panic selling across the entire sector. Has anything new come out of the party leaders that would suggest the market risk has increased in China? It would be great to get your input here, given this meeting was viewed as a potential upside catalyst and it seems to have resulted in the exact opposite reaction in the market. Um, it did on Monday. It hasn't since. So uh, no, no new change. We covered the, the uh, number two. And um, uh, that was a timely email, another sign of the times on Monday, uh, time to buy. And you can tell from his nuance that he probably was in the market buying. So kudos uh, for, for doing that. All right. So uh, for those of you on the podcast, you're going to get cut off in a minute. You can go to hedgefundtips.com, scroll down, click on the video cast. It'll, it's a YouTube video. Just fast forward to minute 60 and you'll catch up with whatever you um, uh, missed. 
Um, we're going to cover some earnings stuff and some new developments. So uh, here's Tom Lee. Stocks could rally 25% and GOP gains in the midterm elections could spur lower inflation because they're going to stop the spending. Um, uh, that supports the case for softening Fed hikes etc. So we've covered a lot of this stuff. Um, GOP gains, etc. So uh, we, we generally agree. I don't know about the magnitude, but but certainly on the direction. Fed officials expected to debate on rate peak and when to slow hikes. Uh, so we'll see that. Uh, by the way, we'll, we'll cover the PCE numbers. The inflation numbers came down big today. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Fed is losing billions, wiping out profits that funded spending. Central banks around the world uh, 